Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 148 of The Morning After. I'm Jesse Kiefer. I'm Sari Kamen. On today's episode, winemaker Chris Mathewson of Bellwether Wine Cellars in the Finger Lakes. Chris, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Calling all the way from upstate New York. From the Finger Lakes. We'll interview Chris a little bit later in the show. We'll also have the always exciting Morning After quiz We'll see how you do, Chris. But first, Sari, there was a lot of uh, of news this week. Oh my God, there was so much news. Did you uh, did you hear about the Pope? You know, I missed that part of the news. Oh, um, so well, <laughs> no, actually, uh, I remember there was a lot. There was the a lot of news. There. No, the Pope was here. He ate Italian food. Um, a lot As happened. the Pope does, you know. Uh huh. John Boehner resigned. Uh, there was because a- of the Pope. Right. Um, There was a horrible stampede in Mecca. But, you know, I have to say that none of those news stories came nearly as close to the volume of clicks that Pizza Rat garnered. (laughs) Pizza Rat. Chris, did you see Pizza Rat? Yeah, I saw the, what was it, like a uh, rat carrying a piece of pizza leg across the street or something? Oh, yeah. Like, actually down a staircase, Chris. (laughs) He dragged an entire slice of pizza down a staircase. Um possibly the most New York-y New Yorker <laughs> of all time pizza rat. He didn't quite make it down the stairs until he slipped into his hole without the pizza. No, I know. Some jerks were probably, like, they were filming him. And yeah, he got I know. He got, he got stage fright. <laughs> but, you know, all I have to say, Jesse, Chris, hashtag Je suis pizza rat. <laughs> Je suis pizza rat. Well, sorry, you told me that someone bought the rights to the video already. Yeah, yeah. A company bought the YouTube video already. And if I was the guy who took that YouTube video and someone wanted to sell it, I'd be like, hell yeah. <laughs> this is the best way to get rich ever. Well, I mean, how many times have you been kind of drunk on the L train and filmed something? Not never was there a pizza rat like this. Never though. was there a pizza rat like this. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Outshining the Pope. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like I feel proud of the pizza rat. I felt like oh, totally. I didn't feel grossed out. That's Is, why I'm just sweet pizza rat. Chris, would you be grossed out if you saw a rat carrying a slice of pizza down the stairs? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like I don't think I've <laughs> ever saw a rat. To be honest. Oh, I'm like field mice up here. God. That's because field mice would carry like a piece of pizza, maybe like a crust. Oh man! You get you to, to live get in the New York you get on. to live in the beautiful countryside yeah, of New the, York. That's the first rat that I was like, I like that rat. I I actually felt the same way, Sari. I don't mind that rat. That's like a ratatouille rat. I mean, that's that's something that New York City does to you. I the other day I was standing on the platform of the J train and I saw a roach run in one direction and I was like, oh, there's a roach on the platform. And then I looked the other way and there was a rat and they were together, living in harmony. Which one did you hate more? The roach, for sure. Really? Yeah. I hate roaches more when they're in my house. (laughs) Oh, I hate that. I had that happen. All right. Speaking of roaches, what else do you have? Oh, no. Speaking of speaking of the fall. And the the season that it that has now approached us. It's so nice out. Finally, Um, here's a lovely autumnal story for you. This week, uh, a shipment of 
pumpkins, everyone's favorite ingredient in a pumpkin spice latte, were uh, they were coming from Costa Rica to the port of Philadelphia, and it was discovered that within these pumpkins was stashed 383 pounds of cocaine. Now that's some pumpkin spice. That's some pumpkin spice. That's why the pumpkins have big <laughs> smiles and they're missing teeth, right? That's the foam, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> or when they say, do you want whip? <laughs> do they grow pumpkins up in the Finger Lakes, Chris? Oh, yeah. I have like, uh, you just throw the seeds in the ground and you have them. I have like a ton in my yard. Oh, that's all it is? <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, yeah. I could grow my own pumpkin right spice now. lattes. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then. We, then we ship them down there and, and you guys pay of money for them <laughs> suckers that's a, lot of, that's a lot of cocaine that's, that's yeah, that is a lot of cocaine about. yeah exactly there are full of cocaine though so. <laughs> that's why they're so expensive mm-hmm. um well here's a wine story this one might appeal to you chris being that you're a winemaker you too jesse you like wine uh the people over at Bur- wine i'm a wine drinker yes. you're a wine drinker <laughs> the people over at burger king spain have now introduced the first ever Whopper wine. It is a drink. It is a wine from Burger King. <laughs> or a drink. We're not really sure. It is a wine or a drink or both. Specifically crafted as an ode to the fast food chain's infamous burger, the Whopper. The wine has been flame grilled. I didn't know that that was a winemaking technique, but I'm glad to be learning. It's using the Burger King broilers, giving it that delicious Whopper scent. And it's been aged in wooden barrels, which is better than, I don't know, hamburger meat. <laughs> <laughs> but it gives it a taste that perfectly complements the Whopper, according to them. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you flame grill a wine, Chris? Yeah, Chris. Uh, broil, sorry, flame I broil. Mean, you could, like, oh no, these have been flame grilled. I guess you could light it on fire with <laughs> like some kind of uh, something to ignite it. I don't know. Would that, would that could, make like, it delicious? You could like roast a barrel super heavy, but doesn't Burger King like? Don't they have like some fake smoke that they or or no aromatic that they released to the public that like makes the people around the like the smoke coming off the broiler isn't actually smoke at, like with burger king it's like something it's like a marketing technique so you smell i don't know like, but they did yeah. they did release a burger king whopper scent like they're, a perfume a few years ago right yeah just like burning incense and then the burgers are like in the microwave <laughs> <laughs> That sounds know. gross. I will. You know, I would try it because I'll try anything once. I try that. I try that. I wouldn't. Just, eat, I, I wouldn't I try the Whopper like, though. Cheap burger wine was like cheap Beaujolais. Yes. So why did they even make? Well, they're in know. Spain, so think about it. They're like, uh, oh, we true. love our big, massive Tempranillo, so we're gonna make a. Bur- that's a burger wine. I don't know. I don't no, know. I don't think that was their thought no? process. That at wasn't all. it. Okay. They were like, oh, we love what American corporate fast food is doing to our amazing like <laughs> food culture over here let's exploit it more all right just as long as it's served in a 32 ounce cup <laughs> with a straw <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly well those are some great food news i mean i think you know the the pope yeah pope pizza rat i think pizza rat wins pizza rat wins For every sure. time no offense pope you the man so chris we're gonna come back on the morning after, we're going to talk to you about making wine in the Finger Lakes. This is the morning after. Not in after. Burger King. <laughs> Not in Burger King. <laughs> nope.
The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. And we're back here on the morning after when I first met Chris Mathewson. His first vintage from Bellwether Wine Cellars had not even hit New York City. Now he's one of the most exciting winemakers in the Finger Lakes and just in general. Chris Mathewson, welcome to the morning after. I just ate a piece of salad right now. It's like somehow stuck to my mouth. That was a good intro, though. And thanks for having me (laughs) on, by the way, too. I didn't say that earlier. No, we're so happy to have you. And, and another plus is we're drinking some uh, Bellwether Riesling because it's on oh, the geez. list here at Roberta's. Yeah, Amanda's been like amazing. Like that first, before when you first met me, that was the first time I poured. And like I poured for you and Amanda and a couple other people. And um, I had no idea how it was going to go either. Like I was, I was going to be like, that was the end of the winemaking for me. Or, <laughs> um, or we could sell a bunch of stuff and, and maybe keep going. I mean, I, I will say before at that, like right before that point, I had tasted a bunch of different Finger Lakes wineries and I was asked by the person who organized the trip, you know, what are you thinking of Finger Lakes wine? And I was like, you know, I'm kind of disappointed. I'm bummed. I was noticing yeah. people were putting um, tannin additives in. They were growing grapes that didn't make sense up there. And then I came to you and, you know, that completely changed my mind. So... Just get us started. Can you kind of paint a picture of the Finger Lakes for for listeners who've who've never been there? Uh, yeah, so um, it's really beautiful up here. Come, that's that's the first thing I'll say. It is, it's it beautiful. Is. It is right now is one of the most beautiful oh, times yeah, ever. It's amazing, and it's only like like I take a, a bus, a like direct bus from New York, and it takes me like three and a half hours, four hours in car basically, and um, so I come down to New York quite a bit, but. Um, yeah, so the Finger Lakes is one of the oldest uh, viticulture areas in the United States. Um, we used to make like cheap sparkling wine before Prohibition, and we would ship it through the canal system to uh, New York City and kind of supply like sparkling ni- wine to New York City. And even during Prohibition, we were still like sending juice in bottles with a packet on it. Um, of yeast, and it said like, if you want, if what did it say? It said like, if you don't want your wine to turn turn into sparkling wine, don't add this and wait like five days at this temperature, basically. So it was like, we've been like selling wine there a lot. It's, but after that, it's kind of a new wine region. Like the wine winery started kind of like developing in the late 70s to the 90s, and when I I started in uh, 2001, and there was only like. I don't even know. There was like 200, maybe like 180 wineries at that time. And now there's like, I can't even keep track. It's like 300 plus. And every time you turn around, there's like a new winery or a new project going on. Um, but it, it mainly started with like hybrids and vinifera, hybrids and, and natives, not vinifera. And meaning, then, meaning grapes that had been developed uh, at Cornell, correct? Yeah, Things a that lot would... of them developed at Cornell or a lot of them just like, grapes you would have on the table like you know that um you know that really generic fake 
uh, grape aroma that you get in like candies, like big chew gum and like Ugh, yeah. stuff like grape, that. Grape drink. Yeah. Ugh, I hate yeah. That. Like grape. Um, so that is actually a chemical that occurs in grapes um, naturally called, um, what is it? It's methylenthranolate, which is the most boring thing ever. But um, it occurs in the native grapes that grow in, the, in North America. And so those, those were aromas like the, that you expect in like grocery store grapes, basically. And those were the type of grapes that were grown here. Um, and then hybrids are kind of like crosses between different native grapes and European grapes so that they like could um, grow better in a cool climate like the Finger Lakes, um, which isn't that cool. So uh, we've kind of found subsequently that like cool climate reds and Riesling and Gewürztraminer do like amazingly well here um, because of you know like, like the geography of the area and the climate um, and I think like the culture that's developed in the past you know seven years too the winemaking culture has like changed drastically to kind of say we're going to do this and we're going to do it well basically. So. Vitis vinifera, which is is winemaking grapes, is not native to the United States. It's native to to the other continent, to to Europe, to Africa, um, Middle East, and all of that. Um, you know, what were the first grapes people were bringing over to the Finger Lakes? Um, I mean, they when they kind of followed up with that producing sparkling wine. There was like a ton of sparkling wine clones from Champagne that were grown here. So like. Um, Riesling, or not Riesling, I apologize, uh, that fell next. It was like uh, Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier, and uh, Pinot Noir, but they were, they were sparkling wine clones. So, like, they don't, like, develop completely, basically, so they don't get as much sugar and flavor. Um, and then following that, a lot of people like Dr. Frank, Dr. Constantine Frank, and Herman Weimer in particular, they said, like, I'm going to grow Riesling here. And um, that was, you know, 20... 20, almost 30 years ago, and since then, you know, Riesling's kind of what I think we do the, the best. Like, I think, I think, and these are, like, big words, but I think, like, outside of Europe, um, the Finger Lakes is the best Riesling in, in the world, I think, um, excluding all of Australia and New Zealand and all these other places. No, those are those are totally big words. Um, as far as, as you know, Riesling getting wi- wide world um, appreciation from the Finger Lakes, you know, what's going to have to happen to do that? Um, well, the majority of the wines in the Finger Lakes are sold within the Finger Lakes. Um, like, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of new producers now, and we kind of focus outside of the area mostly because we were never going to do well here. Um, with the style of wines we were making. They're more, like, austere, uh, typically dry. Um, and all of us come to it with, like, a love of, of German Rieslings and, you know, uh, uh, Jura and Alsace and Rieslings and, and red wines like that. And um, that was never going to do well here, so we all kind of knew we had to go outside of the region to sell our wines, and which is a good thing because the region gets a lot of media, but we don't sell the wines in a lot of outside markets besides, like, five producers. And now you're seeing there's a new generation of winemakers who are, like, more focused on a national and sometimes even, like, international level of distribution so that we can, like, kind of get the word out. I think the next big thing is, like, 
like when I go down to New York City, there's like not there's no shortage of like Washington or California or Oregon wines in New York City. Like there's probably more of that than there is Finger Lakes wines. But when I go to the West Coast, there's like no, particularly in like Washington and Oregon, there's like no Finger Lakes wines. There's like literally like three producers, maybe two producers at Sen Wines over there. And I think I think we need to kind of get you know go west is kind of the the thing that's going to happen next basically are you guys like the rebels of the finger lakes region as far as like, the uh, style yeah i was yeah. gonna ask that, like what sets what sets you apart from yeah other finger i mean lakes i have people? to say like i've actually i did some wine tasting in the finger lakes and i tried a lot of rieslings and i tried your riesling today here at roberta's and it is the driest riesling i've ever tasted <laughs> and i love i mean it's great i love dry riesling but it is it is drastically different from other Rieslings in that area that I've tried. Yeah, I mean, um, that was part of my like fear when Jesse was there. Is like, if people don't get this, then I'm like, done. Um, oh, I got it. And and like when we when I started, basically like I started making the wines, and a lot of like the more established winemakers here, they gave me like a ton of shit for what I was doing. They were like, this is way too dry. You need to add sugar. You need to do this. You need to do this. And um, I kind of was like, this is the wine I want to make. This yeah. is like wine I want to drink. Like, So I just kept, I just went with it. And um, that's basically the difference. And there is like a group of us who are doing more like, I don't want to say, like, and I don't want to like, sh- like shit on the people that came before me because, like, the only reason the new winemakers and the new generation of winemakers in the Finger Lakes are doing are able to do what they do is because, like, we will learn from those guys. And, like, I think to kind of go out on a limb, you have to be able to know how to climb first, you know? So, like, you have to be able to know how to, like, ferment something clean and, and mm-hmm. do it well before you can, like, do some radical thing. It's um, cool, though. I mean, like, Riesling is such a compelling grape in that way because the first... I think Riesling was, like, the first wine I ever tasted, and it was basically, like, it was, like, candy. And I was like, oh, it's delicious. Like, <laughs> I'm 18. It's so yummy. And, you know, to, like, have my um, definition of Riesling be so completely broadened, and now even more so, like, even after, like, being in wine for so long, it's just, it's, like, it's really interesting to understand that that grape is so versatile, maybe more so than any others. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I make wine out of, Pinot Noir and Riesling. And for me, um, the reason I do that is there's, there's the two grapes with the most versatility. Like I can make, I can make like bone dry early pick Riesling, or I can make like sparkling Riesling. I can make uh, sweet Rieslings. Like every picking I do, I kind of follow like loosely a German system where like every picking is treated as its own bottling and they are bottled by themselves, by themselves. So like, as I pick throughout the season, the, the grape changes and the wines that I can make out of it change. And so there's like a huge versatility there and range you can do. And, and Pinot Noir is the same thing. Like I'm probably not going to be making like a dessert wine out of Pinot Noir, but definitely sparkling, definitely like different styles of still. Um, and that's something I kind of... Rosé. Rosé, definitely. As much, the problem is right now there's, it's, there's not very much... Pinot Noir here, and the people who grow well really grow well, but there's, like, it's starting to get where there's kind of, like, really big competition for certain grapes, like Riesling, Pinot Noir, uh, Cab Franc, Lemberger, 
like, there's a huge competition. So, like, all of us are buddies, but we're all, like, kind of like, all right, how am I going to get that Riesling? It's like that block in the East Village that's all Indian restaurants. And they're all like, come here, come here. (laughs) That was not my Indian accent. Well, so then what, I mean, I guess the next step then would be to plant your own vineyard, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, or buy one that's mm-hmm. existing. Um, what I, one way I work with it is I contract all my vineyards. So my vineyards are under, like, some of my vineyards are 20-year contracts. So if I know I'm not going to ever buy it, or I just say, hey, would you contract me that acre until I'm too old to, to like... <laughs> to want to make wine, basically, which probably in 40 years or 20 years I won't be, but um, hopefully after, like, 20-plus years of relationship, we kind of can come to an agreement at that point. But, yeah, the next thing, there's some sites I'm looking at. There's a vineyard I'm trying to buy. There's a vineyard that I work with right now, which I think is the Riesling you're drinking, which is, uh, I won't mention it, mention the name because I don't want tons of people, you know, driving over there with bags of money. <laughs> we offering. have one million listeners. So that's <laughs> yeah. um, but the, I went there the other day to pick my grapes and the guy was like, oh yeah, next year is the last year I'm selling. I've sold the property to somebody that wants to develop real estate and they're going to put like, um, like, oh, I forget how many. It's like a 20 acre property and he's like, they're going to put like 40 uh, solar panel uh, low-income housing units on the <gasps> property. Wow. And I was like, uh... And, and he, like, told me the number. And so the next time I went back, I was like, so if I pay you, like, 20000 more, can I just take the vineyard? And he's like, yeah, definitely. That's why I told you <laughs> how much it was. And then there's a couple other sites I'm looking at, which um, I want to explore. Like, I, I grew up here, so I kind of know, like, all the little... Um, you know, nooks and crannies of the region, let's say. So there's places that I think, like, we can make some killer wines off of that no one's even, like, thought of planting. Um, it's, I mean, it's a huge region. I mean, every time somebody comes up here, it's, I think they're, like, blown away of how big it is. You know, mm-hmm. there's 11 lakes. Uh, I don't even know how many square miles, but um, it takes, you know, it, takes, it basically takes, like, an hour to get some, to one side of one lake to another. Um, because of the size, the lakes are, the main lake, Seneca, is like 50, 45 miles long or something like that. Wow. And it's so beautiful there. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing uh, to kind of, to be here and see like, you know, the leaves change and to look out on a lake. I went to Norway, uh, like, when I was in high school, and it kind of reminds me of that, like, just on a smaller scale with like, it's, there's, you know, just really deeply cut valleys from the glaciation that created the lakes and then, like, beautiful, clear water um, below it. And the cool part for me is during the fall, I'm usually, like, on the side of a hill overlooking, like, you know, miles of lakes as the canopy changes color on all the the hills. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, as the canopy changes color that means that you're going into harvest. So what's uh, harvest 2015 like right now? It's really, it's really great. Like it, there was basically the 2014 slash 15 winter there. Um, it was pretty horrible up here. Like it was cold. We had a ton of snow. Um, so that killed off a lot of like, it kind of like killed off a lot of the fruit. Um, 
which is bad, which is why there's like such a con- such a competition for fruit right now. Mm. But um, what it also did is like it lowered yields as well. So the fruit that is producing is is awesome. Like it's it's. I mean, I, every winemaker is going to say like it's the vintage of whatever, but um, for me, like this is like this is a great vintage. Like I think twelve was a really good vintage. It, it's all it's like. It was really warm midsummer, and it stayed like kind of warm through the fall. Like usually, right now, up here, like um, there's always this point in the harvest where I'm like, "All right, I gotta wear long johns for the rest of the harvest, and if I get wet, I'm gonna be miserable." And uh, usually, it's before this date. And right now, I'm like, you know, in a t-shirt still and just chilling out and pressing riesling. Thanks, like, global warming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have benefited hugely. Um, this is my 15th vintage in the Finger Lakes, and uh, it was never this warm until, like, yeah. the past, past five, six years, and we've all, like, noticed it and benefited. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> oh, it's totally real. It's And, like, I have friends that make wine in Ontario, too, and they make, like, um, you know, they make Riesling up there, they make Chard, they make Pinot Noir, um, and mostly make, like, Burgundian varieties, like Chard and Pinot Noir, but... You know they're ripening stuff and they're fine up there too. So it's kind of like this is crazy. What's going on? It's yeah, global warming. I mean, who knows? We could get like a swing and then it could be cold again for another like ten years yeah. or whatever. But so have you picked already? Mm-hmm. Have you picked everything already? No, no, no. Like the the way I do my harvest is I try. I kind of like those vineyards that I have contracted, I, um, I try to do like at least two pickings off the vineyards with a minimum of two weeks between each picking. Um, so that there's a real difference between all the wines. So, um, I'll pick, I mean, I'll pick Riesling if anybody's crazy enough to let me do it. I'll just like, I'll let that stuff hang until like mid November until it's all shriveled and botricized and, and looks like it's just like rotted away. And there's like no lease on the canopy, um, so my my harvest usually starts like the first or second week of September for sparkling Would that, wine. I'm sorry, this is like a non wine person question. Would that make it sweeter? Yeah, so like uh, botrytis is is known as like noble rot, mm-hmm. and it would it would be like basically you're making you're trying to make raisins on the vine basically. So it's, and is that it's because cool. you you want to do that since you're not adding sugar to kind of like balance it out? Yeah, and I think that's one of the big differences is to, like, right now there's a bunch of us, you know, we do, like, a lot of spontaneous fermentations, meaning we don't use yeast, um, we don't add sugar, we don't, like, uh, deacidify or acidify our wines. You know, we try to use, like, mechanical processes, let's say, not, like, chemical to adjust our wines, and I think that's um, the big difference that's going on here right now. Um, but, yeah, if... For that type of wine, if if we left the the grapes out there to like really late, basically the grapes would get like they would they would get like sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and sweeter, but they would lose acid. Mm-hmm. And then there's a point where the grape like just shrivels itself up, so it gets rid of like all the the water, and you start to gain acid back. So you have to kind of like get that swing when it's on its downturn so that you have like acid and then like a ton of sugar like in 2013 i made a wine uh called the berry select 
uh, late harvest Riesling, which I haven't released yet. But um, that was like the latest you could pick. And then like we sorted through all the berries and only picked the most shriveled ones to um, to make the wine, which is insane. And uh, that had over um, that had about on average it had 400 grams per liter of sugar, basically. Whoa. So it comes out as like a syrup. Um, and Whoa. It's crazy. <laughs> That's that. No, that totally is crazy. And you know, you're talking about you know not acidifying, not adding sugar, um, and you know your wines are pretty popular in New York City. Do you feel like other winemakers are looking at what you've done and and starting to adopt those similar practices, or are they just continuing to try to to just grow the grapes, make the wine, and make a living and sell it in the Finger Lakes? Um, I think both. I think a lot. Like it's crazy because. Some of the people that, like, made fun of me um, are asking me questions about how I make the wine now because they know that I do well in New York City, and that's kind of like the that's kind of like the goal for the Finger Lakes is to sell your wines in New York City. And so a lot of people that were like, well, that doesn't make any sense, are now, like, coming back and <laughs> asking me, like, so why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? And I've seen are a lot of Are you smug and you're like... Too late, second. A little, uh, <laughs> a little. I mean, I feel like vindicated for the reasons I did things, but also like, you know, there's things I could learn from them too. So um, you are so very diplomatic. <laughs> well, I'm, try- I'm I'm really trying to be, to be honest, because usually I'm not. So <laughs> because know, I'm on radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know somebody else is going to hear it and be like, "Oh, Chris, blah, 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 <laughs> that guy's a bastard." Well, um, you're doing really well t- training as a future celebrity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some techniques that I use, like um, that people don't that don't use, didn't use before, like uh, like, and if they if they'd used them, they just didn't talk about them. A lot of people did use them. Like one of the things that I do is I I keep the lees, which is like the dead yeast, um, in or involved with the wine, involved with the riesling for a re- really long time, like up to nine months. Uh, to 12 months, actually. And most traditionally in the Finger Lakes, what we would do, and with most domestic uh, Riesling producers, is like lees is viewed as like a bad thing. So you get the wine off the lees like immediately. So like as soon as fermentation is done, you try to rack the wine off the lees so you don't get any of those aromatics from the lees. And like, and so what I do, what I do a lot is I read like really old winemaking books from like Germany primarily and in I think like what they talk about is the lees in Germany is kind of like and in most other regions it's a tool to prevent oxidation because the lees are really reductive meaning that like they are the opposite of ox- oxidative so like you can use the lees to prevent the wine from becoming um, oxidized by like stirring stirring lees into the wine which is going to absorb some of the oxi- oxygen and then, like, it's also going to give it uh, texture on the palate, too. So in my mind, it's like if nature gave us some a tool that we can use and not have to use a chemical to replace it, then why aren't we using that, what nature has given you? You know, like, people were making awesome wines in Europe way before um, the Industrial Revolution, you know, and, like, the same thing's happening particularly in Germany, like, People are going back to the way their like great grandfathers made wine, and like 
adopting those techniques, and I'm kind of trying to do the same thing, basically. And so it's crazy because you're going against what, like, the modern industry tells you to do, basically. Well, I applaud you for going against the grain, Chris, and I think that more and more people are going to adopt what you're doing, and it's going to elevate the level of wine in the Finger Lakes. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's been really great to have you on the morning after. We are going to take a break, and we're going to come back with the quiz. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty nervous. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. You should be. You should be. <laughs> magic wand tomorrow everyone in the world would have enough food to eat that was culturally appropriate and delicious the planet would be thriving because all the food would have been grown and produced in a way that sustains us both our bodies and our our world but man i do not have a magic wand what i do have is you and this radio station the heritage radio network that's what we're here to do we're here to help Lead the way to a future that's more delicious, that's more fun, where we're healthier, where the plant is healthier, and we want you to be a part of that. We can't do it without you. As a nonprofit radio station, we depend on the support of our listeners. So take a minute out of your day, visit the website, and click the big beating donate tab. Throw us a few bucks. Every bit helps. We're counting on you. And we're back here on the morning after. We've been talking with Chris Matthewson of Bellwether Wine Cellars in the Finger Lakes in upstate New York. Chris, it's now time for the morning after quiz. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. So, Chris Matthewson, you spell your name with a K instead of a C, just like everyone's favorite stage mom, Chris Jenner. Here Do you know who that is? <laughs> the morning after quiz. I had you- like no idea where this was going to go. So. <laughs> Do you know who Chris Jenner is? Direction. You know who Chris Jenner is, right? I'm a, yeah, I'm aware. Uh, yeah, we. I'm pretty. I think like the whole world is at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Sari's thinking that you know, up there in the finger, like, I don't know they don't even got like, TV. <laughs> all right, here we go. Three questions, all multiple choice. Your life depends on it. Question one. Before she married Rich and then made a living off of her children, Kris Jenner actually had a job for a year. What was it? Was it A, an L.A. Raiders cheerleader? Was it B, a flight attendant? Or was it C, an assistant florist? Oh, man. Uh, I might might just... uh, I'm going to go B. I was going to say I was going to go all B, but that was my... Way to get through college, but... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you're going to say B, flight attendant? Let's do flight attendant, yeah. You're right. B, flight attendant. Congratulations. Well well done, well done. You got one. I wish you had said assistant florist, but I know, well, they all seem viable. That was a problem. Like, there wasn't the uh, one 
question, uh, one answer that was not, like, just made no sense. But Well, it's not an easy quiz. I know. <laughs> I've, I've heard it before. I'm pretty uh, nervous. All right. Well, question two. We'll see how you do. Famous for giving almost all of her children a name starting with the letter K, she has luckily not also done this with their middle names. Daughter Kendall Jenner's middle name is Nicole, named after which of Chris's famous friends? Is it A, Nicole Brown Simpson? Is it B, Anna Nicole Smith? Or is it C, Nicole Kidman? Oh, man. Uh, I want to stick to the Bs, but I feel like it's going to be C on this one. This is just gut instinct. You're going to say C, Nicole Kidman? Yeah. No. Sorry, Chris. And it wasn't B either. It was A. Nicole Brown Simpson was apparently Chris's best friend. The late Nicole. The late Nicole Brown Simpson. Yeah. Rest in peace. All right. It was apparently, yeah, you said her. At the time of Nicole Brown Simpson's death, Chris Jenner was her best friend. And then Chris's ex husband ended up representing O.J. Simpson. Super strange. That's some trivia you never knew you wanted to know. Nope. Exactly. And that's going to just stick with me now. It's like burned into my brain. And one day you're going to be playing like Trivial Pursuit and you're going to amaze everyone. (laughs) Exactly. I hope the people in Trivial Pursuit don't put that on. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't. Well, they're probably listening right now, so they will. All right. Well, final question. Question three. Kris Jenner has had some difficulty with her husband's transition from male to female, so much so that she refuses to call him by his, I'm sorry, call her by her new name, Caitlin. What does she call him instead? Is it A, Jenner? Is it B, Jen? Or is it C, Brucette? Uh, I guess Jenner? Uh, B. Wait, is it A, Jenner, B, Jen, or C, Brucette? Oh, I confused those. I guess um, A. A, Jenner. You're, you're correct. All right. You did pretty well. You did, you did pretty well, Chris. You, you did, did pretty two well. out of three, and that's oh, about as run, good as anyone who has like ever done. Magazines. Uh, when I'm on like the press pad, basically. Mm-hmm. So. I'm sure. I'm sure you've just got like us weekly radio on your headphones to get ready for this interview (laughs) exactly i've been preparing the Mm -hmm. absurd things i've been reading and watching yeah you've been bulking up like one does before going on jeopardy or the morning after who was that guy on jeopardy who like did really really well the the teetotaler guy i think his name was ken jennings also a k and a j there we go oh chris jenner ken jennings you know, I actually also found another crazy thing about Kris Jenner that I didn't include in the Crazy with a K? Crazy with a K. That she and um, Fred Rogers, as in Mr. Rogers, are 10th cousins, like 10th removed cousins. That's weird. <laughs> Isn't like everybody 10th removed? Yeah, cousins? I mean, like when you get to 10th removed, it's like everyone. I know. but Like I'm basically related to Obama. <laughs> Stop That's it. That should go in, in your trivia questions. Mm-hmm. Gary, that should be that should be it right there. Just uh, basically related to ABC, Obama, the Pope, the Pope, Obama, Big Bird. Big Bird. Um, answers all of the above. <laughs> exactly. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being a good sport and playing along with the morning after quiz. No, thank you guys for having me. And we wish Thanks, you Chris. tons of luck with this year's harvest. I can't wait to uh, taste the new vintage and uh, and see in New York pretty soon. Yeah, I should be down soon. Everybody thought I was going to be down today, so I got a lot of 
Facebook messages about drinking and eating at Roberta's this afternoon. Well, oh. we're doing it. We're drinking and eating for you, as if you oh, were good. here. Thank you so much, Chris. Before we go, I also want to thank today's engineer, Liz Smith, who is always fantastic. The break music today was provided by The Landing. The theme, the theme song to this show is provided by Jonathan Crowley. And today's sponsor is the International Culinary Center. Also, thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, and we know you did, tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes. And feel free to get in touch with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Next up, a short clip of Evolutionaries, another great show found right here on Heritage Radio Network. This is The Morning After. I think talking about the ingredients is, is I don't know if disingenuous is the right thing, but I find it a little tiresome to say, well, we go and get the best ingredients. No shit, we get the best ingredients too. Chef Wiley Dufresne shares his thoughts on ingredients and cooking. Now, if you want to talk about the farmers, you want to talk about the people who are putting their hands in the ground, because that's a really hard job. That job's not fun at all. And I think that we can talk about them forever, and I think we should talk about them. The people that help harvest our, our ingredients are important. But to talk about, well, we got this really good, da 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 okay, me too. You know, it's your job as a chef to start with the best ingredients. What you choose to do with them is, I think, totally up to you. And and one is not right and one is not wrong. I do think it's wrong to start with, well, we get, let's talk about these ingredients. It's like, I don't, we don't talk about the beautiful fish that we have flown in from Japan twice a week for you. Because we believe that you should expect us to source good ingredients. And that's, that's my feeling, is that any chef worth his or her weight wants to start with good product for any number of reasons. You want to have good product? You want to have good equipment to work with that product? Is somebody out there going, I have the crappiest ingredients in rusty pans and we make awesome food. Come on down. I mean, nobody's saying that. That's crazy. No, we start with good ingredients and we, we have an approach on how we want to handle them and what we want to do with them, as does every other chef. And I think let's talk, you know, talk about what you're doing. Not talk about where you shopped, because that's not as compelling a story. For more of Wiley's stories and thoughts, listen to Evolutionaries, available on iTunes and HeritageRadioNetwork.org.